This morning, we're just going to spend time with this passage, with this very, very strange story. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at it closely to see if we can make any sense of this narrative of this herd of swine being drowned. So the first thing I want us to look at is the context in which the story is told. It is specifically set in Gentile territory, right? So it is set in um, in a region that is not of those who are of Jewish faith. And it's a story about pigs. What do we know about pigs? What do we know about pigs at the time? Fran's laughing. What do we know about pigs at the time? Forbidden, right. Those of Jewish faith did not, do not, many still do not eat pigs. It's a kind of food that Jews do not eat. Now, there's a reason that this very, very large herd of swine were being raised in Gentile territory. Anybody know? Ideas? It's okay. The Romans, the Romans, there was a gigantic occupation by the Roman army, so they needed to be fed, right? These Gentile Roman army men needed to be fed. So there was this gigantic army that was set to feed their occupiers. In this story, and in many other stories in Holy Scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, swine are something that are um, symbolically not worthy of respect. Think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son, when he leaves his father, when he leaves his home country, when he goes to another place, what does he end up doing? Feeding the swine swine herds, those who feed the swine, the swine themselves represent something other. So there's that piece. How many, and then the next, the next thing I want us to look at, how many people do you know who go by the name Legion? <laughs> okay, just checking. Um, a Legion was what they came to call a group of Roman soldiers. Right. So um, on the one hand, Jesus is talking about the very real peril of mental illness that per, that per, um, that that was a part of this man's life. On the other hand, and this may be lost on us, he is very specifically to Luke's audience talking about this gigantic army that has occupied their space. So it's a metaphorical reference to the peril of the occupation of the Roman army. The next thing we need to name, because we're Episcopalians and we're polite, we don't talk about polite things most of the time, but I'm your rector, so too bad, um, is, is our own discomfort with this concept of demons and possession and evil. Those are things you might say, oh, they talk about those in other churches, but we don't talk about that in the Episcopal church. Jesus is being very real. Jesus is talking about evil and spirits and demons and possession in this text. Luke's gospel sets up a metaphor for a possession of this man by the demons, which is equivalent to the possession of Israel by this Gentile Roman army. And then if we want to go a layer deeper, there's a Christological and theological significance that Luke has written into this text. On the other side of the lake, there's this large herd of pigs that die so that one man may live. One unman, ostracized man who is not well respected in his community may live. So Luke is clearly pointing to the Passion Tide. Luke is clearly making reference 
to the sacrifice that Jesus will make, one man will make, so that many others can live. That's what Jesus does. He sets people free out of oppression. And Luke is implying that God is able to do what humans cannot do. Take those Romans out of Palestine and then some. What I'm trying to say is that this very confusing, obscure passage that you don't hear told in Sunday school has social, economic, political, personal, and cosmic implications. It's all there. But now I want us to do a little bit of imaginative perspective taking. This morning, I want you to picture for me Leonid. Leonid is living in a city in eastern Ukraine, and the last three months have not been easy for Leonid. So I want you to imagine that Leonid is reading this passage alongside us this morning and wonder with me what might be going through Leonid's mind. I wonder who the legion in his life might be. I wonder what freedom he might be praying for. I wonder if hope is still possible for Leonid. There's power in this passage, this very strange, obscure passage that we don't often reference to speak to a Ukrainian Christian under occupation today. Or if you want to think about it differently, today is Juneteenth. It's the 157th anniversary of the day when slaves in Galveston, Texas, were made aware that the Emancipation Emancipation Proclamation had passed two years earlier and that they were free. Yesterday, several of us gathered in celebration of this first federal recognition of Juneteenth as a holiday. And our guest speaker reminded us of this truth. We have lived longer as a nation under the institution of slavery than we have under the experiment of freedom and integration. Let me say that again. We have lived longer as a nation under the institution of slavery than we have under the experiment of freedom and integration. She she went on to say, our history will either be our landing strip or our launching pad. Our history will either be our landing strip or our launching pad, meaning we can learn from where we've been and be motivated to do differently. Or we can congratulate ourselves that things are not as bad as they once were. So this morning, I wonder how our brothers and sisters at Lomax might read this passage. I wonder who the legion in their lives might be. I wonder what freedoms they might be praying for. I wonder what hope looks like for them. Our speaker yesterday spoke of both the promise and paradox of Juneteenth. So I wonder how God might be able to do what humans have failed to do for our brothers and sisters of color. What does it mean for us to read the Bible in this way? Understanding the social, economic, political, personal, and cosmic implications, not just back then, but today. We need to read the Bible 
in the company of others who have different life experiences than us. We need to read the Bible in the company of Ukrainians, in the company of those who are leading us in the Juneteenth celebrations. Because when we do this, the metaphor is not quite as far out of reach. The complexity and hopefulness of Jesus's message comes alive in a new way. What I hope you take with you this morning is that we have an amazing God. We have an amazing God, Jesus, who is not just a savior, but who accompanies ostracized and demonized people into the tombs, literal and metaphorical tombs of our lives. And even after traveling to these tombs, to the cross and then to the tomb, Jesus is able to bring about new life. Amen.